that's a win, and hopefully a little bit later I'll start to feel like spring. Yesterday was a beautiful day, Uh, but we are glad to be able to spend some time together here this morning. Grab a Bible and turn to Joshua chapter number 8. If you're using one of our supplied Bibles, it's page 183, and we want to continue looking at this story Uh, of uh, Joshua and the battle of Ai. And I say continue because uh, at the very beginning of chapter 8, it has that conjunction and. Uh, And so many of you already know this, but some perhaps don't. Our chapter uh, and verse divisions are not inspired by God. Thankfully, someone uh, did those many years ago that help us to find our place. But the story continues from chapter 7, which is why Uh, Mike gave you a little bit of the context, uh, if you weren't here the last couple weeks, of uh, just what happened there at the end of seven uh, with Israel's defeats and then uh, leading now into chapter number eight. So as you uh, find your place, I just want to read those first two verses of chapter eight. That's what we're going to look at this morning. And uh, over the next few weeks, we'll, we'll get all the way through chapter eight. But let me read beginning in verse one again. And it says, And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear and do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people and his city and his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. Would you bow once again with me in prayer? God, as we come to this text, let our hearts be open to receive what your Spirit would have for us. We know that your Word is living and active. It's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And it will speak to us where we need uh, to be spoken to. Thank you for each person here today. And it's, it's not an accident that they're here, uh, that we've gathered here in this place for this text of Scripture. Uh, we know that you control all things and you are sovereign uh, over every aspect of this world and every aspect of our own personal individual lives. And Lord, meet those who are grieving and uh, sorrowing with with your joy. Uh, Meet those who are struggling with your hope and your power and your grace in their lives. And uh, as we sang, uh, we have no other merit other than the merit of Jesus Christ. And so uh, let us uh, see him this morning and let that be uh, a strengthening to our faith or are coming to faith uh, in him. So guide my thoughts and my words. Uh, We pray for uh, those ministering to our kids as well, that you would give them clarity as they teach, and that the gospel would be clear to our kids, that they might understand it and believe at a very young age uh, and grow up to be disciples of Christ. It's in his name we pray all of these things. Amen. You know, one of the the hardest things in the Christian life is to pick up the pieces after we sin. I don't know if you ever 
have that feeling. Uh, even when we recognize it and we confess it and we repent and we go to Jesus for forgiveness, we still have their, this feeling at times where, where guilt still lingers. We struggle with how to move forward in our walk with the Lord. Maybe it's doubts. It, I think it always comes back to faith. And uh, as I was preparing for this, and uh, sometimes you, you wonder things like when you're, when, when you're preparing for a lesson or a sermon, you know, how, how do you start? And, and then, of course, always, you know, how, how does this relate to me? How does this relate to other people? The Lord does a funny thing when you, when you prepare lessons and you study to give God's word. Uh, he starts revealing where you need this uh, more than anybody else. So I, I feel like in some ways, uh, man, I'm, I'm going to preach a sermon to myself, and if you want to listen in, uh, that would be totally fine. Because that, that thing that I described where it's like, how do you pick up the pieces and move forward? I mean, it happened to me just last week as a dad who lost his temper with one of his daughters while getting ready to go to worship. And you know, my first thought was, how can I go to church this Sunday? But in my position, it's kind of not an option. I need to go. And not only do I need to go, I need to lead the congregation to worship God. And then I need to go and teach in kids' church and teach the kids about this God all the while not wanting to convey to my family that it's okay to act one way at home and it's okay to act another way at church. And so last week I ended up being later than I wanted to be as I sought forgiveness of the Lord, uh, asked my daughter to forgive, and yet there I was still wrestling with how do I move forward and join the body in worship of God. Like I just, it doesn't, I don't feel it. But here's what happened. As I sat and I reflected on the words of the songs that were being sung last week and the scripture as it was being read, I recognized even more that my faith and trust must be in God even more so because of my sin. I need to look to him even more because I look at myself, and just as we sang, I don't have any merit. Like, if I'm looking to myself for goodness to move forward in my walk with the Lord, boy, I'm never going to move forward. When we truly repent, God's forgiveness is assured. He, he wipes the slate clean. But even though we know we're forgiven, we can... We can kind of think about our God's forgiveness like a hard reset on an electronic. I don't know if you're familiar with electronics or not, but at some point in our culture, I'm sure you probably had to reset an electronic. And you can do a hard reset or you can do a soft reset. When you do a hard reset, it wipes everything clean and back to factory settings. Like you're starting up from scratch all over. It's a complete reset. And while it's true, as we'll, we look at this passage here, God's forgiveness is a reset up for our sin. It's, our sin is wiped clean. It's not there standing against us any longer. You're not starting over in the Christian life. 
You're not starting over in your walk with the Lord. So with repentance comes a reset, but understand, and and you're going to hear this all throughout the next few weeks, God's reset is a reset forward. It's a reset that allows us to move forward with greater faith in Him, not in ourselves. Believing that His forgiveness is real and that because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we can move forward, which is our theme, really. A faith that conquers is a faith in Christ. It's Him that we look to. So here we come to chapter 8 in Joshua and Israel has entered the promised land. They conquered their first city, Jericho. Things are looking great. They're advancing further into the land. They get to Ai. They have this unexpected grueling defeat at the hands of the people of Ai, which, was, which really should have been an easy victory. Achan's sin is descri- discovered, and it's dealt with. And by dealt with, I mean they repented. Not just, it's not, it's not just talking about Achan and his family. In fact, as, as Mike was rereading uh, that, that passage there, uh, I was drawn to uh, um, skimming through previous to that, verse 11, Israel has sin. It's not just Achan's sin. And they dealt with it. They repented. And they say, well, what does it mean to repent? Well, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, it means to turn to, to, or to return. When you get to the New Testament, in the Greek, it, it means to change one's mind. So really the idea of repentance is to recognize or confess your sin, your wrong against God, to change your mind about it and to turn from it. So if I'm walking this way, I'm turning completely away from it. I have a change of mind. This is what Israel as a people did in chapter 7. And so again, Achan represented the nation as a whole. And so the nation confessed their sin and they repented. They turned from it. And you have these two key phrases in chapter 7 that it's so important to highlight as we get into chapter 8. In verse number 1 of chapter 7, it talks about uh, at the the very end of verse 1, the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. And then you have their repentance and the dealing with sin. And you know that with true repentance, God's forgiveness is assured because you come to verse number 26, the very last verse in chapter chapter 7, and it says, the Lord turned from his burning anger. Same word, repent. The Lord turned. It's not that he was repenting of a wrongdoing, but but there was a, there, there was a, a turning from his anger towards the people because of Achan, because Achan's sin was dealt with. And so Israel is learning what, what kind of God they are following as they are being led to conquer the land. They're going to need to listen to him, and they're going to need to obey if they're going to have victory in this land. It's not just, hey, we're going to do this the way we want to. And when they don't, when they don't listen and obey, they're going to need to repent and turn back to him. This is the cycle of Israel's history over and over. And so all through the journey, what are they learning? They're learning that God is holy, but he's merciful. They're learning that God is just, but he is forgiving. They're learning that if they want rest in the promised land, they will need to repent of their sin as they commit it and turn back to God. A question 
that's one of those like hypotheticals, but it came to my mind, what if Achan's uh, sin was never exposed? Or what if it was never dealt with? What if it was just kind of glossed over, like not a big deal? I don't know that chapter 8 is ever written. The fall of Ai ever happens. And in a very similar way, our temptation when we sin, whether that's individually or corporately, is to cover it up. I, I don't have to get into many stories because you see them on the news, you hear reports about them, but how many, how many churches and church leaders have you heard about who've covered up sin, abuse, misconduct, other scan, scandalous things? Thinking what? This, this will save the ministry if we don't let anybody know about it. But that's not the way it ever works out, is it? Achan's sin was exposed, and it had to be dealt with because God cannot bless sin or a person or a people or a church who makes a practice of sinning. Think about Psalm 66, 18. It says, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, if I kept it, and loved it so much that, that I would not confess it. That's the, the idea of that phrase. The Lord would not have listened. There's a straining of the relationship because of sin. And so the soul that holds on to sin can never be at rest with God. Whatever sin you're holding on to, it, it will keep you from being at rest with God. Israel is in the land, but they have no rest. Instead, chapter 7, verse 5 says, their own hearts melted in fear because of their sin. Because rest comes through a right relationship with God. And so the rest that a sinful nation like Israel needed is going to come through repentance. And the rest that a sinful church or a sinful person needs will come through repentance. God responds to a repentant heart. Consider the words of David after committing what we would consider a, a, an egregious sin against Bathsheba and Uriah in Psalm 51, 17. He says, a broken and a contrite. That, there's repentant heart. God will not despise. If we come to him in true repentance, he will forgive. And we will never reach a point in our lives where we, we will stop sinning. Which means we will never reach a point in our lives where we stop coming to God in repentance. So, as we move, we need to move forward here. Repentance provides a reset Forward. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at how it resets our relationship with God, our obedience to God, and our worship of God. This week, repentance provides a reset forward in our relationship with God. And it does so, and what we're going to look at primarily is through restored communication. Verses 1 and 2. You see, a relationship is only as good as its communication. And verse 1 has a very encouraging start to this aftermath of sin being exposed and repentance happening and forgiveness being offered. Because here's how it starts. And the Lord said to Joshua, 
once the sin of Achan, that is the sin of Israel is renewed, God's communication opens up and it becomes clearer. Think how Joshua would have felt leading the people through chapter 7. Then the sin is dealt with, and verse 26, they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. And as I'm reading that, then I'm thinking, if I'm Joshua, that's like, what's next? Like, what am I supposed to say after this? How am I supposed to lead the people? And hopefully you know what it's like to ask someone for forgiveness. You've done that in your life because you've probably wronged someone at some point. And you say, you go to them and you say, hey, I, I, you know, you're my friend or you're my family member and, and I'm sorry for this thing that I've done. I'm sorry for what I said or how I said it. And then will you, will you forgive me? And then what did the, oftentimes, hopefully, yes, I forgive you. But then there's like this awkward silence. Like, what do I do now? I mean, when they said they forgave me, does that mean like they really forgave me? Does that mean that we're, we're back to being like what we were before? Like I can just like joke around right now and say something? Or wh- where does the relationship stand? That's how I picture Joshua at the end of chapter 7. And here's what I love about verse Number one of chapter eight, God is the one who initiates the communication. And then Joshua hears God speak to him. And he hears God speak to him like he's heard him spoke to him before. Like he's heard in chapter one and verse number one, in chapter three and verse number seven, in chapter four and verses one through five, in chapter five and verse number two, in chapter six and verse number two. All say have the same phrase. And the Lord said, to Joshua, realize as he's speaking to Joshua, it's not just communication with Joshua, but Joshua is the leader of God's people. And so when God speaks to Joshua, he's, he's affirming, reaffirming to the, to the people as a whole. Communication is, is open and, and there's a relational communication. And I'm going to tell you now what to do. I'm going to tell you the rest of the plans moving forward. And you might be thinking, well, isn't God always communicating? I mean, he's communicating in, in chapter 7 and verse number 10. And he's, he's always communicating, yes, but I'm talking about a relational communication where like you and I communicate with all sorts of people throughout our day. But you communicate differently to the waitress than you do to a close friend. It's a different feel. It's a different goal. There's a different affection. It's a relational communication that is reopened. So we think about our own lives. When we struggle with, with communication with God, that is, boy, I'm coming to the Word, I'm going to Him in prayer, and I, I just, there's like a disconnect here. There will be a disconnect if sin remains unrepentant. Like Job's friends, they were misguided. If you know the story of Job, there's got to be sin in your life, Job. But it's a good place to at least start. Examine yourself. Is there unrepentant sin in my life? But when we confess our sin and we repent, we don't need to ask, where does my relationship with God stand? It's been restored. 
The communication lines are, are, are reopened fully and God speaks to you and it's as if he says, my son and my daughter, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your transgressions from you. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 12 says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Not our own righteousness, but our being righteous through Christ and his ears are open to their prayers. You see, any, healthy, any, any relationship must have healthy communication. And our relationship with God is no different. Now, I want to speak just for a moment to those you might say, you know, I never have any clear communication with God. I hear the word, it doesn't, whatever, it doesn't affect me. I don't enjoy hearing it. I don't spend any time in prayer. I don't desire that at all. You might need to ask yourself if you do have a relationship with God. Do, do I know the God of the Bible personally? I mean, this phrase, and the Lord said to Joshua, is a, is a personal phrase. It's as personal as you can get. God is speaking to him. And, and do you know him personally? This will require repentance from sin a humbling of yourself, turning from it, turning to Jesus who went to the cross to pay the price of your sin, to restore you to a relationship with God, to make it possible that God can speak to you as a friend and not an enemy. Maybe you're in a relationship with God. You say, I, I put my trust in Jesus Christ by faith, but you must still repent when you are confronted with sin in your life. And it's a, look, every, every time you sin, it doesn't mean that your relationship is severed and like you have to, you lose that relationship and then you regain it. No, but the relationship is strained. There's friction there. M much like maybe you might have friction with uh, a parent-child relationship. The relationship is strained because of a wrong that was committed, but it doesn't, it doesn't make that person not a parent or make that person not a child. It doesn't change the relationship you have with each other. And so is it with your relationship with God. You didn't enter your relationship with God because of you. You entered it because of Jesus. And think about Jesus he never lost communication with his father. His relationship never had to be restored because of his sin. And your relationship with God is based on Jesus' perfectness, his righteousness, which has been imputed or transferred to you. And as we repent, those communication lines are, are re-engaged fully and that strained relationship is perfectly mended. So we have communication reopening. And what do we hear? That's what we're going to look at. Three, three things in what, what we hear. First of all, we hear words of comfort. What is the first thing that the Lord says to Joshua? Do not fear and do not be Dismayed. I think these are the most comforting words that Joshua and the people could have heard. Do not fear. 
Don't, don't be dismayed. Actually, they're the same words that God says to Joshua in chapter 1. It's like, again, it's a reset, but it's a reset forward. Joshua's rela- realizing, hey, my relationship as God, God's chosen leader for the people is intact and is restored, and God's still dealing with the people the way that he promised in chapter 1. See, our relationship is restored as fear is driven out. God isn't going to hold this, this sin against Israel. He's not going to whip it back out at some time and, and hold it up to them as a reminder of their disobedience. We're not going to get to chapter 12 and start reading God saying, hey, remember that sin with Achan? I don't know if I really gave you the right kind of punishment or enough punishment. We're going to do this again. When God offers forgiveness, it's forever. He, he removes that sin. It doesn't stand against us any longer. In chapter 6, Pastor Adam talked about the people of Jericho being paralyzed by fear, if you remember that. They, they were paralyzed by fear because God's anger was against them. And then we come to chapter 7 and verse number 5, and Israel, is, it, they're like paralyzed by fear. Their heart is melted. And here now in chapter 8, God reassures his people that he is forgiving them, and there is nothing to fear. There's nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing to be dismayed or that is broken about. Don't wallow in the guilt. Have no dismay. And so the removal of their fear and dismay allows them to move forward, which is going to be so important because God is not done with his people. He's still work, working with them. He still loves them and cares for them. They are worth dealing with. Like as broken as we get as God's people, if we are children of God, he says, hey, I, I love you and I care for you and you're worth dealing with. You're not where you're going to be, but I'm going to make sure you get there. It is so easy in in my own sin struggles, and I'm sure yours, to let fear just kind of paralyze us. To let the tempter say, you know what, God doesn't care about you. Look, Look what you've done again and again and again. Who could love that? Or, like, you think God is done being angry with you? He's still, his face is still turned in anger towards you, and we're so prone to believe this, even after we come to God in true repentance. And, and I will be the first to admit, I feel like garbage after I sin. I, I, even when I confess and repent, I feel so broken and, and we have many disagreements with the Roman Catholic Church, particularly around uh, faith alone in Jesus Christ that saves and, and works and, and, and that, that saved on, on, on their perspective. But they have what's called penance. And, and I shared this with our small group. I can very much see why penance is an attractive thing. Because I confess and I repent and I know that, that Jesus has paid the price, but I still feel like, like I, need to, I need to pay back. Do something, like something bad needs to happen to me for the wrong that I've done. It's 
so that God would love me again, and yet here are these words of hope that are available to me, that are available to you, for all who repent. Do not fear. and Do not be dismayed. You say, well, how is that possible? It's What's possible when we repent and we look to Jesus because his blood covers every transgression and every sin. It blots it all out. Our sin is buried in the depths of the sea, never to be raised again to condemn us. Jesus' work on the cross turned God's anger away from us. Like we heard last week, like Adam reminded us this morning, he became the Achan for the people. And by that, fear has been driven out. In love, he went to the cross to drive out fear for us. And that's what we read in 1 John 4.18. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, which has already been taken by Christ. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. You know, our tendency is is to think that the best thing we can do when we sin is to run and hide. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden, run and hide. And we've all been there. You don't confess it, and what are you doing? You're kind of looking over your shoulder. There's this fear that you're going to get caught. There's this fear that punishment is going to come. There's no rest there. There's no peace of life. And fear will remain until the sin is dealt with. And so we say, wasn't it silly to hide your sin? Like, God already knows the sin. He knew Achan's sin. The people didn't know it, but he knew it was there. We can't hide from him. But we have a tendency towards this. And I think here's why. Because we're afraid of what might happen But that fear actually is a doubting of God's goodness. And it's a doubting of his promise to forgive. Do I really believe that he's going to forgive me and restore me? Or am I just thinking he's not going to have any mercy and he's going to give me everything I deserve? When we repent and bring sin into the light, we receive a rest, a sense of peace because God has accepted us through his son and his love overwhelms us and fear is driven away. I want to read one more verse for you in 1 John. 1 John is one of my favorite books. So so I was spending a lot of time thinking about these thoughts uh, simultaneously with Joshua. 1 John chapter 2 and verses 1 to 2. My little children... I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. That's my desire. I don't want you to sin. But if anyone does sin, and and you will, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Friend, if you're trusting in Jesus, when you bring your sin to God and repent and turn from it, at his right hand sits an advocate. You know what an advocate is? It's somebody who has your back. Jesus, the righteous, and his presence there means you have nothing to fear. Nothing to be dismayed about. So God's communication, as it's 
re-engaging with the people is clear and we hear these words of comfort, do not fear and do not be dismayed. Secondly, we also hear words of confidence. The following phrase there in verse number one says, take all the fighting men with you and arise, go up to Ai, see I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city, and his lands, and you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. So God here now directs them and lays out the plan he has for them. Look, you're going to take all the fighting men with you and go up to Ai. Last time, in the first campaign against Ai, they took 3,000 soldiers and went to battle. Not all the men. But Israel then falls in defeat. And now God says, look, I don't want you to just take the 3,000. I want you to take all the fighting men and one of the reasons I think that God wants this to happen is because he wants, he wants each of the men to witness this victory for themselves. There's a complete restoration. And you, and you have this word, see, right, right in the middle of verse number one. See, I have given into your hand. Like, I want you to see this for yourself. I don't want you to hear about it from someone else. I want all the, 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 the fighting men to see my deliverance. I also think another reason that God wants all the men to go is because this is a show of unity. We are unified as a people. We've repented as a people. You've been forgiven as a people. You're going to follow my command as a people. It's not just God and Joshua. It's not just God and some of the people. It's God and all of the people. We're going to move forward, and we're all going to move forward together. And then God's promise, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and all of these things. What God is reaffirming, if you trust me as a people, I will conquer your enemies. If you trust me, if you believe me, I will do this. And what is God doing? He's putting his name on the line once again. He prophesied and promised a victory at Jericho that was clearly all of him marching around the walls. That, that had to be of the Lord. But he's also now promising and predicting and, and putting his name on the line that there's going to be a victory in Ai. Now, my, my oldest daughter, Avalon, she probably hates that I said her name uh, in the service. She, she plays on a basketball team. And towards the beginning of the year, they lost to a team in Elmira. Uh, and um, in overtime, very close game. And they play them again here on Tuesday. And they, they want, it's like a revenge game. That's what they want. They want revenge. Um, I'm pretty confident that they can beat them. But I can't promise that. There's too many variables. An injury could happen. Somebody could get in foul trouble. Like there, there's, there's all kinds of variables that I can feel confident, but I can't promise what the outcome will be. And yet here, God makes a promise of victory. And do you know why he can make that promise? Because he controls all the variables. He knows, he knows every little detail that could and might and, and will happen, and he controls it all. And so that's why he says in verse number two, you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. And what does God do? He points them back to that first battle. 
and he reminds them, says, hey, remember when, remember when you trusted me to walk around this, this fortress and I gave you the victory? Now I want you to trust me again, listen and obey, and I will once again deliver a remarkable victory to you. And again, as you would read Israel's history going forward, you get, you get this sense over and over, it's like two steps forward, one step backwards. But they're always moving forward. God is always moving his people towards that end promise and that's where repentance comes in and is needed because the, the step backward is not just a, an oops, like a slip up. No, it's a step backward because of a lack of faith in sin. And what's going to help them move forward and the only way they can move forward? Turn to the Lord in repentance and trust his forgiveness. You know, we can... I think relate to this as a church and as individuals because we're a lot like Israel. Our Christian life is, is not this ascent straight up. That would be nice. But it's like two steps forward, one step backward, and it's all because of our sin. It's not God's lack of faithfulness that, that, we, that we regress at times. No, it's, it's our sin and Every one of us will fall. Every one of us will take a step backward, so to speak, in the Christian life. And we can respond in one of three ways. We can throw in the towel. We can walk away from it all. That would be an unbeliever's response. Like the, the, the soils that Jesus talks about. The thorns of life spring up, or the sun gets too hot, and it just kills the plant and no fruit, and we walk away. Or... You could try to make up for those lost steps in your own strength. That could be an unbeliever's response, but it could also just be a very misguided believer's response. Like, and th that, what this looks like is, you know, I'm going to try to do the right things to make up for that wrong that I've done so that I can be in good standing again with God. Well, th that's, that's a common approach when we fall. There's also the third response, which is what Israel does here. Repent and trust in the victory that God has promised you. You know, the second, those two, last two options, the second and third option, they're both going to look to make changes. But the difference is one has repented and one has not. And there are some in this room, you're, you're, you've taken a step back. Maybe you feel like you're taking two steps back because you're just, you're being dominated by a particular sin. I've been there. Am I ever going to get victory over this sin, and you wonder, where is God's victory in this area of my life? Usually, I'll make a pretty blanket statement, true repentance has not taken place, and we need to repent and deal with the sin in a biblical way. We need to bring it into the light. This probably means you need to confess it to someone else. Because you will have no victory in the Christian life without repentance. Here's what James 5.16 tells us. Therefore, now there's a whole bunch before the therefore, but here's the part. Confess your sins to one another and judge one another. No, it says, and pray for one another that you may be healed. You know, as a church, if we want a culture of seeing God's victory then we will need to create a culture where repentance is normal. 
We're not just covering our sin. We're not hiding it. doesn't mean we need to air our dirty laundry to everybody. But it shouldn't be abnormal to confess to one another, to pray for one another, to share the struggles that we have. And too, too often our churches are content to sweep sin under the rug, to ignore it. I mean, last year we finished up a, a series in 1 Corinthians. What a messed up church. And, and you look at all, the, they're, they're disunified, they have idolatry. You think, how does a church get here? And then you, you realize, oh, well, they have tons of unrepentant and undealt with sin in their church. And so, even as our church, if we want it, if we want to make it to the end that God has for us to experience God's victory over sin and death and the struggles that we faith, face, it's, it's going to take a life of repentance from sin. That, that's our, our normal pattern that we repent and we turn to faith in Jesus. Salvation, we sometimes think, you need to repent and believe and you're saved. And then you kind of move on. No, that just becomes the normal pattern of your life. It never, it never changes. Repentance provides a reset forward. We heard these in the comforting words of do not fear. We hear these in these words of confidence. You will have victory. And lastly, now we hear the words of grace. The words of grace. Notice the end of verse number two. Only its spoils and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Following that, their repentance, God lays out his plan and the blessing and the promised victory is all back on the table. And you know what? It's more and better than they probably would have thought. God has shown great mercy already in not giving them what they deserve. And now we see his grace just flowing to them abundantly. With Jericho, they were told to devote everything to destruction. Chapter 6, verses 21 and 24. Except they were to take the silver, the gold, the bronze, and the iron. And that was to go into the treasury of God. Everything else was devoted for destruction. No individual was supposed to take anything for themselves. And that was Achan's sin. He took it for himself. And that perhaps Satan tempted Achan much like he tempted Eve. Is God really good? He's claiming to be for you, but he's keeping all this precious metals for himself. Why, why shouldn't you get some? You're the one that's on the ground doing the work. I don't know. But look at the words we read here. Only its spoils and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Really, how sad is that sentence in the context of the whole story? If Achan had only waited. If he, if he would have just waited. But isn't that the allure of sin? My wants in my timing. So many of the sinful things we fall into are not wrong in and of themselves, but they are wrong in how we go about them and when we go about them, how we engage in them. And so here, once again, the people are learning an important lesson about God. Yes, he is holy and righteous and he has rules, but he is so gracious and he has no intention of holding anything 
good back from them. He's not withholding good. God wants nothing but the best for his people. And so he tells them, look, you're going to take of the spoils. This is grace. He's giving them what they don't deserve. They haven't earned. He's going to, he's the one that's getting victory for them, and yet he's giving them the spoils as well to enjoy. Friend, I want you to think for a moment about the sin that you commit. You know that sin that comes to your mind, but if there is repentance, there is grace. There is a reset forward which gives us a greater love for him. It draws us into deeper relationship with him. As we'll look at next week, it's going to spur us to greater obedience. And you know your life. You know all the, those sins that you commit. Now think about multiplying that by 125. I don't know if that, what the attendance is today, but that's around our average attendance. It's clear what we deserve. We deserve the same fate as Achan. We deserve to be judged for our sin. But God is so merciful and he's so gracious not only to not give us what we deserve, but instead to pour out his blessings to us. And the evidence of God's grace is all over your life and all over this church. Everything you have is grace flowing from God to you through Jesus. You know, as a church, we talk a lot about God's grace. But know this, God's grace is freshly available to you at all times and even in your greatest need, like when we sin, God promises to be gracious. So come to him, receive his grace. Do not fear. Believe that he will not only forgive you, but what will he do? He will make you co-heirs with Christ with an eternal inheritance awaiting. So don't believe the lie that God is trying to withhold something good for you, from you. That God doesn't want the best for his people. He created you to enjoy. And he created everything there is for you to enjoy. But to enjoy the way that he has designed. So, so how does, a, how does a pastor move forward on a Sunday morning after losing his temper with his child and not, not wanting to look or, or especially feel like a giant hypocrite? How do we conquer sin in our lives and the guilt of sin and believe that better days are ahead in our relationship with God and God is still at work in our lives? It's by faith, believing that because of Jesus, our relationship has been restored. Believing God's words of comfort, do not fear. Jesus has paid your sin already. Believing God's words of confidence, Jesus, the risen King, has provided victory over sin and death for you. Believing God's words of grace, with Jesus you have every good gift to enjoy and you have an eternal inheritance that awaits you. A faith that conquers is a faith in Christ. Can you bow with me in prayer?